This show is going to be a little bit out of the ordinary, but uh, I ask you to trust me and just come with me on this one. Because it's too good of a story not to tell, and I just have no other outlet to tell it. It's not exactly history, it's not exactly comedy, but it's just too damn good. You're going to enjoy it, trust me. But it's not exactly HGT, and it's not exactly fit for a stand-up show, which I'm doing the Sydney Fringe Festival at the end of next month, if you want to tell your friends in Sydney to come and support the sad clown. But this story, it's wild, it's fun, you're going to love it. Let's go. So something that has happened in the last couple of years now, which is a damn shame for so many reasons, but the number of shitty people in the world that have ruined so many things that used to be good. That's a sweeping statement that could be applied to almost anything, so in the words of the late, great Larry King, I'll expand on that. New York as we know it will no longer exist tomorrow. Expand on that. Conspiracy theories used to be fun. You used to be able to have a lot of fun getting drunk or high with your friends, fleshing out various conspiracy theories. It used to be a universal pastime, and that has been taken from us. That has been stolen from us. Because you used to be able to have fun with conspiracy theories. They used to be outlandish and stupid and demonstrably false. This Mr. X says Spanish and Italian are the same language. Well, that's surprising. You could have a lot of fun playing... What if, and can you imagine if this was real? Imagine the ramifications of that. And everyone playing the game had an understanding that the conspiracy theories you were shooting out into the dark, just throwing shit at a wall, while fun, they were absolutely untrue, and we were all just fucking around. Nobody ever took it seriously. That's impossible. All my stories are bullplop. Of course we went to the moon. Astronauts left shit there on the moon that you can see with a telescope specifically to counter the inevitable idiots who would claim that we didn't actually go there. But it was fun to imagine a scenario where Stanley Kubrick, of all people, directed a fake version of the moon landing. Which breaks down when you think about it. I mean, there was a Starbucks cup in the Game of Thrones finale. We are still... Not at a level where we can fake a moon landing and not have people figure it out. In episode BF-12, you were battling barbarians while riding a winged Appaloosa. Yet in the very next scene, my dear, you're clearly atop a winged Arabian. Please to explain it. But it's fun to imagine, isn't it? It's a fun thing to play with. And Stanley Kubrick, of all people, the most anally retentive director of all time, The guy who shot Barry Lyndon entirely in candlelight, even though nobody would ever notice? You're going to get that guy to fake the moon landing? I can imagine Stanley Kubrick faking the moon landing, but also I can see him demanding that they shoot it on location. Most conspiracy theories are bunk. Bullpup! They're bullshit, but they're fun bullshit. No, Katy Perry is not John Benet Ramsey grown up, but it's fun to imagine. No, the Pentagon does not have a queer bomb that is making the frogs gay. But it's fun to say things like, it's making the frogs gay. Try it. It's making the frogs gay. It's really fun. And as for chemtrails, let me tell you, I used to work as a ramp supervisor loading and unloading aircraft, and I can safely say with 100% certainty that you were lucky if we loaded your bags, 
let alone secret chemicals in an open air environment where everyone is filming you at all times to make sure you don't smash their bongo drums on the tarmac. But then, somewhere along the way, with all of the Donald Trump QAnon Pizzagate bullshit, conspiracies stopped being fun. Too many stupid people started believing too much stupid shit and the game stopped being fun and started being scary. No, there is not a secret basement in a pizza shop in Washington, of all places, where Hillary Clinton drinks the blood of babies. That is not real. It's never been real, and it never will be real. But still, I know actual, real-life people in my friend's circle who believe that Hillary Clinton drinks the blood of babies in a Washington pizza shop basement. They believe that, and it frightens the shit out of me. Not only is the whole baby-eating thing a racist dog whistle invented by Julius Stryker in the 1920s to promote Nazi ideology, Stryker was the only civilian hung in the Nuremberg trials, and he was hung because of how many people died because of the bullshit he made up, not only is the baby-eating thing a known lie invented by a known liar who we hung for lying, there isn't even a basement in the pizza shop in question, because you can't build basements in Washington. The city is built on a fucking fault line. You can't build basements anywhere because they don't want their pizza shops suddenly disappearing into sinkholes. The whole story crumbles at the slightest bit of scrutiny. But, like I say, I know people who genuinely believe it, and it scares the shit out of me. Conspiracy theories used to be fun. But, like a lot of things in this world today, Rupert Murdoch killed that too. And as much as I'd like to promote the theory that Rupert Murdoch is literally Satan, he actually isn't. Murdoch is merely South Australian, which is, like, at least two rungs below Satan in the Divine Comedy. And people like Joe Rogan, I mean, I've met Joe Rogan. Rogan is simply an intellectual adolescent who just loves karate. His entire ideology is kung fu. He can't form a political belief of his own, so he latches on to the last person he spoke to. He's also obscenely rich, and I can't afford to buy protein, so it's questionable who the real idiot in this situation is. But back to the point, most conspiracy theories are bullshit. Bullplop! Which isn't to say that there are no conspiracy theories that are true. There are quite a few of them that have proven to be real. MKUltra, for instance, that was a conspiracy theory for a long time before, eventually, the CIA admitted that, yep, whoopsie, we actually did all that stuff. In fact, a lot of the conspiracy theories that were later proven true were just shit that the CIA was actually doing. I mean, hell, for a long time, it was a conspiracy theory that Ronald Reagan, the president of the United States, was selling weapons to enemies of the United States to fund terrorists in South America until he just straight up admitted to high treason, but nobody in power cared, and Republicans today still worship the Gipper as a god. The world is weird. But anyway, I need to bring this back to the point I was originally trying to make and the fucking batshit crazy story that I need, I physically need to tell people about. Back in the day, back when conspiracy theories used to be fun, 
One of my favorite conspiracy theories was, well, it's twofold. The first part was that Walt Disney, beloved children's entertainer and occasional Nazi, Walt Disney had his head cryogenically frozen so that he could be brought back to life in the future with a robot body. There is zero evidence to support this. There's a lot of evidence that Walt Disney was cremated. But that's the fun thing about conspiracies. You don't need any evidence. You just make shit up. Bullplop! I mean, I've called Walt Disney a Nazi in so many forums, online and in stage shows, because everyone knows that Walt Disney was a Nazi, and yet, there's no actual evidence to support that claim. Everyone knows Disney was a Nazi, but where's the evidence? Have you ever seen any? No, because there isn't any. Disney was racist as all fuck, for sure, but it was the 1930s. Everyone was a fucking racist back then. Nobody got into World War II because of the Jews. Always remember that. I'd like to think we've grown since then, but recent events have convinced me otherwise. Anyway, part two of the conspiracy theory is this. Because everyone knows that Walt Disney had himself cryogenically frozen, everyone knows this, The conspiracy theory is that the Disney Corporation, under orders from the Disney estate, made the film Frozen, so that that, the film Frozen, would be the first thing that came up if you searched the term Disney Frozen. Not Disney's head frozen so that he can become an all-powerful cyborg in the future, the film Frozen. Which is absolutely bonkers. It serves no purpose. It breaks down under even the slightest bit of scrutiny, and it accomplishes absolutely nothing. And that's what a good conspiracy theory should be. Utterly implausible, have way too many working parts to ever actually pull off, and achieve a goal so incomprehensibly banal that you'd realistically never bother with it in the first place. Of course. It's so simple. Wait, no it's not. It's needlessly complicated. Yes, it is. Nobody could have predicted that Frozen would be the cultural phenomenon that it was. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody could have predicted that everyone would latch on to the song Let It Go. It's just... Frozen is just another cookie-cutter Disney film the same as all the others. It's just particularly well done. But this conspiracy theory, this conspiracy is fun. It's fun to think that they made the movie under the orders of Disney himself so that Google, a company invented 40 years after his death, selling a product that didn't exist in his lifetime, would hide the fact that he was sleeping under the earth until the Aryans had wiped out the Jewish control of the world banking system. And when you put it like that, you realize how fucking crazy it is. Yes, it is. But I needed to tell you that story and point out how ludicrous it was to tell you this story. Because I'm about to tell you exactly the same story. Except that this time, it's real. And it centers around Christopher Nolan's film Oppenheimer. Which, if you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, you must. It's an incredible film. One of the best of all time. 
that and I'm going to be doing an Oppenheimer show in the very near future, so you've been warned. But let's have a chat about the brothers Nolan. We're all familiar with Christopher Nolan's filmography. Christopher Nolan makes great movies. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of all of Christopher Nolan's films. Even Tenet. Especially Tenet. I feel that Tenet was made for me specifically. I mean, it's a movie that you can only enjoy if you've already seen the movie. There is no way that I would not be all about that. You guys know me by now. That is precisely my jam. And yes, Chris, I love you too. Thank you for making it. You, dear listener, your mileage may vary on Tenet, and that's okay because the film was not made for you. It was made specifically for me. And that's my conspiracy theory. I mean, there's Memento, which is brilliant. There's Interstellar, which is even more brilliant and introduced the world to Timothy Chalamet. And then there's Oppenheimer, which is absolutely gorgeous and I would be buying on DVD if DVDs were still a relevant technology. So that's Chris Nolan. There is also a younger Nolan brother, Jonathan Nolan. He's one of the better screenwriters in the business at the moment. Jonathan Nolan is one of the few people I think are actually worth a damn when it comes to screenwriting. Seriously, the list is like him, Aaron Sorkin. I think it's just him and Aaron Sorkin. Possibly Jonathan Nolan's most famous work is Interstellar, because it achieved the impossible feat of making Matthew McConaughey actually act. But Jonathan Nolan also wrote the short story that Memento was based on. It was called Memento Mori. And some of his most recent work is on the reboot of Westworld, which is a favorite series of mine, but probably not broadly popular because I'm a weirdo. What is worth noting is that there was actually a lot of studio interference with Westworld because it's quite niche. So Jonathan Nolan basically told everyone to go and fuck themselves, and he turned the series into a dense preachy about nihilism, where all life on Earth is eventually extinguished for no good reason. And I gotta respect both the artistic direction and the sheer pettiness involved with that. He's also married to the writer Lisa Joy, who co-created the cult classic series Burn Notice, which is also a favorite of mine. My name is Michael Weston. I used to be a spy until... So their children will either be the greatest writers of all time or the absolute worst. There will be absolutely no in-between. And those are the two famous Nolan brothers who took Hollywood by storm. Those are the two Nolans everyone knows about. But there is a third, hidden, secret Nolan brother. One Nolan to rule them all. And we don't talk about him so much. The eldest of the Nolan trilogy. Matthew Nolan. Now, I feel like this needs a very hefty disclaimer. Not a lot of this can be proven to the standards required in a court of law, as you're going to find out. Barely any of it is verifiable in any way, shape, or form. But while it may not hold up to the standards of a court of law, it does meet the evidentiary standards for a podcast. So here we are. I'm using the Robert Evans behind the bastards methodology here, and it seems to have worked out pretty well for him, so why don't I try it for a change? So if the youngest Nolan, Jonathan, is a screenwriter who occasionally directs, and the middle child, Christopher, is a director who sometimes writes, what would that make Matthew Nolan? Did you say international assassin? Got a burn notice on you. 
Chris on you. You're blacklisted. Matthew Nolan, in contrast to his siblings, did not enter the film industry. He was a businessman and property developer in Chicago, the Nolan's hometown. And that's why John sounds like an American, in case you were wondering. The family emigrated there from London after Chris got a British accent, but before John did. And it's also why they gave up trying to make Gotham City look like Gotham City and just stuck it with Chicago. They thought it was bad enough already. Sweet home, Chicago. The success of Matthew's business is questionable at best. He didn't make any waves on the property scene, and he would ultimately file for bankruptcy, but that's much later. There's not a lot out there on Matthew Nolan, but that's to be expected. He's the least famous of his family. He's just some guy. Why would there be any record of him? I mean, hell, there's barely any record of Luke Hemsworth, and he's actually in Westworld. It's just that Liam and Chris are way more famous. So anyway, Matthew Nolan drops off the face of the earth for a while, so let's jump to a different story. In 2005, in Costa Rica, the setting for Jurassic Park, the badly beaten corpse of American financier and accountant Robert Cohen washed ashore. Costa Rican authorities immediately classified the death as suspicious, considering the quote-unquote blunt force trauma the body had undergone, and a coroner later stating that there was evidence that Mr. Cohen had been tortured prior to being beaten to death. And there were other suspicious circumstances surrounding this particular deceased, Robert Cohen, given that he had extensive links with organized crime. Robert Cohen had been implicated in money laundering due to his work with a known gem dealer, and suspected but not proven shady character, Robert Bresca. And, unrelated but maybe related, Robert Cohen was sentenced to four years in prison in the 1980s after being convicted of drug trafficking. So this guy's not entirely on the up and up. Fast forward to the early noughties, and Robert Cohen, and a business partner of his at the time named Mario Quintana, These two used some of their gem dealer slash mob boss's money for some, uh, how do you say, speculative investments. They used about $7 million worth of Bresca's money. And these speculative investments did not pay off, as is the nature of such things. And now they owe a gem dealer with a shady reputation over $7 million dues. This is not a healthy situation to be in, as you can probably imagine. And apparently, the pressure of owing so much money to a suspected mob boss got to Mario Quintana, the accomplice in this, and, officially at least, Mario Quintana committed suicide by shooting himself in the head a couple of times. As you do. Robert Cohen not wanting to get a bad case of the Russian oligarchs and clumsily trip onto a missile, Cohen gets on a midnight train going anywhere, and he finds himself in Costa Rica. While lying low in Costa Rica and attempting to recover the money that he owes Bresca, Robert Cohen runs into another gem dealer. Now, what are the odds of all the gem joints in all the world? (laughs) I just came up with that. That's great, isn't it? Anyway, this gem dealer was named Matthew McCall Oppenheimer. And this guy was the great-grandson of Ernest Oppenheimer, 
the diamond magnate who ran the De Beers Corporation for a while. And if you need a refresher on how fucked up the diamond industry is, then go and listen to the show I did about how fucked up the diamond industry is and how neck deep in all of this bullshit De Beers actually are. But the upshot is that there are another bunch of Oppenheimers who used to be in the gem business, completely unrelated to the splitting the atom Oppenheimer. So this Matthew McCall Oppenheimer of the Diamond Oppenheimers, he has a business proposal for Robert Cohen. This business proposal is so lucrative that it will solve all of Cohen's financial problems. It will get him out of debt to the mob. It's going to save his life. And this Oppenheimer cat says, here, I'll give you the full PowerPoint presentation. I'll lay it all out for you. Why don't you come back to my hotel room and we can hammer out this business deal? Never go to a second location with an Oppenheimer. Witnesses will later testify that they saw Robert Cohen get into Oppenheimer's car on May the 6th, 2005. And that is the last time that anyone sees Robert Cohen alive. Later that year, in 2005, Interpol released a mugshot of one Matthew Francis McCall, a.k.a. Oppenheimer. And if you see this mugshot, you will say, holy shit, that guy looks just like Christopher Nolan. And there's a reason for that. There is no doubting which family this guy comes from. Matthew Francis McCall Oppenheimer is Matthew Nolan. That same day, the same day that Cohen goes missing, Matthew Nolan, not Matthew Francis McCall Oppenheimer, Matthew Nolan, boards a plane from San Jose in Costa Rica and flies to Houston, Texas. Then he gets on another plane and flies from Texas to Paris. Then he flies from Paris to New York. Then he flies from New York to Miami. And then, after three days of constant travel, he flies from Miami back to Costa Rica, where he started. All the while, all of his tickets have a fake address on them that was in Paris, of all places, and he was using his father's mobile phone as a contact number. If you're thinking this is all very shady, it's because it is. Because four days later, very coincidentally, Robert Cohen's mangled corpse is going to wash up on a San Jose beach. The allegation is that Matthew Nolan, a.k.a. Matthew McCall Oppenheimer, left Cohen in the custody of an accomplice of his, a San Jose bellboy by the name of Louis Alonzo Douglas Magia, while Nolan himself established his alibi. Witnesses will testify to seeing the three parties all enter a Toyota Hilux on the day that Cohen disappeared. Now, eventually, Costa Rican police would arrest Magia, the bellhop, and he was convicted of kidnapping, torture, and the murder of Robert Cohen. And Costa Rican police were very, very interested in having a bit of a chat to Matthew Nolan. But Nolan had long since left the country. Now, ultimately, nothing happened. There's not enough to pin on Nolan. There were plenty of rumors, and there were enough rumors that both Interpol and the FBI became interested in the case, and they started following Matthew Nolan. And in 2009, the FBI believed that they had enough probable cause to arrest Matthew Nolan for his role in the kidnap, torture, and murder of one Robert Cohen in San Jose, Costa Rica. 
but they just needed to find him first. And as it happened, that's the time when Nolan applied for bankruptcy. Knowing that Nolan would be present to sign the bankruptcy papers, that's when the FBI set up and sprang their trap. Matthew Nolan was arrested and formally charged with all of the horrific shit that I just mentioned. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Costa Rica officially applied to have Matthew Nolan extradited to San Jose to face trial, contending that, quote, Mejia, who, remember, was the guy actually convicted of murdering Cohen, Mejia contacted the accused, Nolan, for a still undetermined amount of money, hired his services, both of them planning the manner in which they would deprive the victim of his freedom in order to later murder him. End quote, according to the official Costa Rican charges. The United States judge, Michael T. Mason, ruled that while there was certainly something shady going on, there wasn't enough to actually extradite Matt Nolan. And I'll quote his summary here, quote, We find that there is competent evidence to sustain a finding of probable cause as to the charge of use of a false document. However, we find that the totality of evidence falls short of establishing probable cause to believe that Nolan committed the crimes of aggravated homicide and aggravated kidnapping. End quote. So, technically, Nolan was free to go. Everyone believed he'd done something, but there simply wasn't enough hard evidence to pursue a prosecution or extradition. So there wasn't much that Johnny Law could do, except... And here's a great except. Matthew Nolan didn't quite trust the legal proceedings going on here. He didn't trust that he would stand up in front of a jury of his peers. Now, we can conjecture that there's a guilty conscience in play here, or a suspicion that there was indeed enough evidence to put him away for murder. So here's where it gets super crazy. Whilst being remanded in the Metropolitan Correctional Center of Chicago... Matthew Nolan managed to somehow secret a razor blade somewhere on his person. Then, with an Andy Dufresne level of commitment, he spent his days and nights smuggling sheets into his cell. He then cut the sheets into strips and fashioned them into a rope, which he then used to attempt to escape the jail. That's right, he did the classic tie the sheets into a rope and escape a jail cell like Bugs Bunny trope. You honestly couldn't sell a script with this in it, nobody would buy it, it is far too implausible, but it actually happened. Matthew Nolan was sentenced to 14 months in prison, not for murder, but for obstructing justice in this escape attempt, during which time none of the allegations leveled against him actually stuck. But he did his 14 months for obstruction of justice, he got the fuck out of prison, and nobody has seen him ever since. Now here's the big question for you, dear listeners, after all of that. We've all heard about Oppenheimer the movie. We all got caught up in the Barbenheimer marketing fever. We've seen the memes. We know all about the biggest movie of Christopher Nolan's vaunted career. But the question is, the big question is, did Christopher Nolan 
make the film Oppenheimer because he genuinely wanted to tell the incredibly fascinating story of the Manhattan Project, something that ushered in the next age of human civilization, or did he make this movie to protect his brother? So that the only thing that would turn up when you googled Nolan Oppenheimer would be the movie and not how his brother is an international hired killer. Now, obviously, he made the movie because it's a great story. I've said before, I've got my own spec script about Oppenheimer. It's just a cracking story. And if I couldn't tell it, then I'm glad that Christopher Nolan did. But still, it's fun to play, isn't it? It's fun to play what if. And that is what conspiracy theory should be all about. Playing what if. And then letting it go because it's all absolute bullshit instead of storming the Capitol and subverting the course of justice. Stay loyal to the foil. And we can't have you out there mucking it up now, can we? No, sir. That's good boy. Alright, fun bonus fact here. I'm not going to let you go on that. We need something else. So, here's another quick aside. This one is 100% conclusively true, because I can't have an entire show based entirely on speculative bullshit. Even if it's entertaining bullshit, there has to be some fact in there somewhere, so this is it. I'm putting it in as a stinger. Woody Harrelson, the actor who you will know from starring in pretty much everything of the last 30 years, Woody Harrelson's father was one Charles Void Harrelson. Charles Void Harrelson was a mafia hitman who was convicted of murdering a ton of people including a federal judge by the name of John H. Wood, the last time that a federal judge was assassinated in the United States. Woody Harrelson's father was tried and convicted of that. He ultimately died in jail. So that one is 100% true. And Woody Harrelson himself is a whack job who believes that you get a 5G mind control chip from COVID vaccines, but somehow doesn't believe in germ theory. So, I mean, there's also that. He's the bad kind of conspiracy theorist, and it kind of makes me feel a little bit better that Solo turned out to be a steaming pile of dog shit because, well, so is Woody Harrelson. But that being said, Woody Harrelson is also in the film Wag the Dog, which is loosely based on the conspiracy to fake the moon landing, except in this one it's to drum up support for the Gulf War. And Wag the Dog is legitimately one of my favorite films of all time. So if you haven't got anything to do for the next couple of hours... I highly recommend Wag the Dog. It's a good old shoe. Go watch it. All right, later, taters. This time we didn't forget the gravy.